You're listening to the Flying Goat Farm Podcast with your host, Lisa Check. This podcast is for people who love yarn and fiber and sheep, who love to knit and crochet and maybe even felt. We will be talking about the crossroads between keeping sheep and goats, making yarn, and expressing your colorful self. Hi, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 6 of the Flying Goat Farm Podcast. Here's what's happening on the farm. So it's the end of March, and um, things are starting to bloom, and it's the grass is getting greener. The goats and sheep are really happy. They got sheared um, last weekend, and our apricot trees are blooming. They're always the first. They're always the ones that we worry about. Um, right now, we don't have a whole lot of pollinators. The bee um, hives did not work out last year. Something happened to the colonies. Um, and the bee guy's coming next week. So that's good because we have the apricots blooming. We have one, my favorite plum tree is blooming. We have one of those star magnolias that has just popped out and it just, uh, they make me so happy. I love spring. I'm dying up a whole bunch of spring colorways. So be sure and go to the website, flyinggoatfarm.com, and check out our special collections, our spring collection. So we have some great springy-looking yarns there. So today, um, we're going to be starting this new phase of Season 2, which is called Be a Color Explorer. And it, originally, I wrote this series as a self-guided study of color using your own collection as an experiment to learn about what your color sense is and what you have in your collection. Um, and originally it was an extension to the collection curator series. And so now it just makes perfect sense. We've just finished the, you know, collection curator, be the curator of your collection, the first part of season two. And so now we can start this color explorer. So my intention with this series is to help you to become more confident in your own personal color sense. We all have um, a different color sense. We have different colors that we like. It may be based on your culture. It may be based on where you were raised. It may be based on... Um, just like what your mother liked or what your father liked or the colors that you were surrounded by as a child. Um, and I'm hoping to give you the tools to be able to pick colors for your projects that will be um, not only satisfying, but also really exciting to work with for you. And my hope is that you will break free and express your colorful self. So let's talk a little bit about light and color. So um, color is part of um, the whole um, energy wavelengths that are out there. They go and everywhere from um, uh, cosmic rays all the way down to um, microwaves. Um, and they can be radio waves, x-rays, but there's a very small sliver that we call visible light. And the philosophers and um, physicists, agree that light is particles, but it, they also agree that it's waves. It's kind of waves of particles and that the, the that our eye perceives these waves in, in different ways. Um, and that the visible spectrum, it's, it's just a little tiny part of this continuum. 
And you can see that if you are, are you, if you're listening to this on the podcast, if you go to the, um, the YouTube, you can also see some of the um, images that I have here that will help you understand what I'm talking about. So seeing color is totally individual. Like Bill sees colors very differently than I see colors. Um, he will say that, that, oh, that's teal or something. And I will look at it and say, mm, no, it's more like an aqua. Um, we just, and it's more than just vocabulary. Like we are actually seeing the colors different. And that's because the way that we perceive color is by specialized cells that are in your eye. We have rods and we have cones. And rods are basically like um, night vision, you know, black and white, light and dark. That's what they do. But the cones, they are the ones that respond to color. And there are cones that are more receptive to reds, ones that are more susceptible to or receptive to blues and some more and others that are more receptive to green. And it's funny because it's not yellow, it's green. Um, and, you know, that's just the way that we evolved. And each person or, you know, there's probably swaths of people, but there, you can, the amount of rods and cones that we have in our eye is not a set amount. So, um, there are some people that definitely have more cones than others. It's just a genetic fact. Um, it's hypothesized that the impressionists and specifically uh, Monet, that they had a lot more cones. And so they saw a lot more variations in color. And so that's how, you know, like their paintings are really how they were seeing um, the way that the, the world of color was to them. Um, but, and the thing that you need to, to learn though, is that you can work, the more you work with color, the more you can train your eye to see colors and to be perceptive to colors. And we'll be working with that. So this is how color works. Again, physics was not my strong suit. I'm a biology nerd. Um, I can do chemistry really well, but physics, mm, not my finest hour, but so here's a really simple thing. So let's say you have like a green bell pepper that's sitting on your counter. What happens is that light, like the whole light spectrum is going to um, hit that pepper. But every color that, uh, and actually we're going to back that up and say it's a red bell pepper because that's what the, the graphic is showing me. But for, so every color except for red is going to be absorbed by that pepper. And the red is going to hit the pepper and then it's going to bounce off into your eye. And that's how we perce perceive it. So every color except the color that we see is being absorbed by the object. If it's a green pepper, then then every color except for green is being absorbed by the pepper and the green is bouncing off and that's what's hitting, hitting your eyes and your cones are receiving that as green or receiving, receiving that as red or looking at the sky and receiving it as blue. So here's a little bit of definition here. When we talk about color, if we want to be really specific, we'll say hue, H-U-E. Um, 
hue is what we would typically, the layperson would call color. But to be more specific, we'll talk in hues. There are 12 hue families on the color wheel. So you have three primaries, that's yellow, red or magenta, blue or cyan, basically red, blue, yellow. You have your three secondary colors. I know you guys all remember this from kindergarten. You have your orange, green, and violet, or sometimes violet is called purple. And then you have six tertiary colors, which are is the primary color mixed with the secondary color. So you have yellow, orange, and red, orange. You have blue, green, and yellow, green. You have red, violet, and blue, violet. So that makes up your 12 you families and every single color in the world is part of one of those families and there's also you can also say there's black and there's white so you know black and white are totally special um, basically an object that reads black what that means is that all of the colors are going to be absorbed in the spectrum nothing is going to be bounced back into your eye and so we read that as black and conversely for something to read white like a golf ball or a tennis i guess tennis balls are green now but a ping pong ball um all of the colors are uh, are going to be reflected back so it comes back to us as white light And in, a, in the next in the next episode, we'll talk about grays and neutrals. So color is very very emotional. It, it we can experience it in the physical world, like you know, just saying, "Oh, look at that beautiful green grass." But it also is has an emotional impact. Um, in phys, in the physical way, early man decided what plants were edible based on how they looked. If the berries were poisonous, um, we know about poison frogs that they're brightly colored. So they warn predators away, don't eat me because I will kill you. Um, even poison oak has red leaves, so you know not to touch that. Um, and by emotional, I mean that colors can affect our mood or that they can symbolize our mood. And colors also have a lot of cultural meanings. For instance, the color white. In Japan, it's associated with death and mourning. But in America, that's our bridal virgin, you know, color, the wedding dress. Um, it means it's a virgin person getting married. Um, so it's very different culturally. Um, and in the same way, we consider black to be a color of death. And in Japan, it is, that is not the case. So it's really valuable to explore what your emotional symbolism is as it relates to color. So we'll talk a little bit about the different families here and what they can symbolize to you. And, um, the, and again, it's very personal. So some of these words that I'm using, you may not associate with that but um, go ahead and think about it and decide how these words, how these colors relate to you. So 
we'll just start out with the red family. It's like totally emotional color. We symbol it symbolizes being energetic and being strong and being passionate. Um, it symbolizes love and energy and fire. In in a ne- negative sense, it can be cruelty or wrath and definitely sin. The scarlet letter. Remember the scarlet letter. Um, and there's so many different. Um, different values and tints and shades of red that we can use in our work. Red orange, and that can include browns. That's where brown comes in is it's really a red orange color. Um, And you can get anywhere from, you know, like brass and walnuts and um, beautiful flowers and great fabrics in that red orange vein. The orange family, it's associated with change and a lot of times with political movements like um, in the the orange movement in Ireland. So um, in the Hindu world, it can mean the burning of the ego. So the the monks wear those um, turmeric stained or dyed um, clothes. And so it's showing the burning of the ego for those monks. Um, And orange is really highly visible to us as well. And so it's used a lot for protective clothing and equipment so that we, because we can see it better. Um, I was reading that a lot of um, emergency vehicles are now changing from red to yellow because yellow is more highly visible than the red is. And so orange symbolizes energy again, abundance, adventure, happiness, strength and warmth and yellow orange is fantastic i love this color again it can that this can kind of go into your golds and um the color of mango and the color of um like a meyer lemon and those habanero chilies sometimes this yellow yellow orange as well So let's talk about the yellow family. It's the lightest of colors. It's always going to read the lightest. And so it really does signify light. And in a lot of paintings, they're not leaving white there. They're putting in bright, uh, you know, bright or soft yellow. And it also symbolizes like gold, the noblest of the metals. In China, it's an imperial color. Um, And in religion, it means divine love. And then if you think about it in the negative sense, what do we call a coward, like a lily-livered person, right? So we see it in the Western world um, as a color of cowardice. And I don't know exactly know where that came from, but we all think of it that way. So again, some of the words that might go with that are enthusiasm and confidence and friendliness, creativity, optimism, uplifting, stimulating color yellow green that's again a very um, light color mixing in with a little bit of blue the pictures here i have there's a lot of snakes that are yellow green um, and some early spring um, leaves and plants as well So here's the green family. We associate this with growth and health and um, ecology now. 
Um, we associate with life and hope. Um, in Islam, green is sacred and is seen in mosques and a majority, it's seen somewhere in um, flags of Muslim countries. In a negative sense, it also typi typifies jealousy, you know, the green-eyed monster. It is a color that can be used to be relaxing. It can be um, an encouraging color. Um, a lot of times you see green in waiting rooms and schools and things like that because it is more of a relaxing kind of a color. And of course, a lot of you know money is green, right? So it can also give you a feeling of abundance. So the blue-green families, this is one of my favorite families. And so this includes turquoise, which we don't, wouldn't nor normally um, associate with blue-green, but it is. Um, and, and your teals are in this color, um, your aquas, those kind of the peacock colors, really beautiful. One of my favorites. Then we get to the blue family. So in the negative sense, we think of it like if you have blue, the blues that you are like depressed. Um, in China, blue is the color of the dead. But in the positive sense, Blue can mean truth and wisdom in many cultures. And it really is the most popular color in the world. There was a time when I um, had my booth set up at, in a rainbow and blue and purple would be next to each other. And that was where everybody was because there's so many people are purple people or blue people. So I, eventually I had to move those two away. It was still in col it, by colors, but the blue and the purple were opposite each other so that it would kind of even out the amount of people. But we really look at blues as being a color of calm and serenity. It's considered a cool color, um, soothing. Um, it definitely reduces stress. And it is the most popular color in the whole world. Think of all the cultures that die with indigo. Your blue violets are, so you're going now towards, you know, from the blue into the violet. A lot of times people read navy as a blue violet color as well. And then here we have the violet or the purple family. Um, it's considered a royal color, right? Um, mostly because the, one of the most expensive dyes that there ever was, was from um, a, a mollusk called a murex um, and basically it, it the animal secretes a dye when it's in trouble and the and so in rome they would take um, thread or or already woven material they'd put this dye from from the mollusk they'd they'd squeeze it out of the of the animal and put it on the fabric and it make this beautiful, gorgeous purple. Um, so all of the mollusks that were in Italy near Rome, those are all extinct. Now there are some um, species that are in Mexico and they're very highly um, monitored because, you know, they could totally go extinct if it wasn't regulated. Um, but so because it was such a hard color to get, that's why the royalty and the nobility were having it. Um, we associate it with wisdom, 
with um, also with inclusiveness and diversity and individuality. And a lot of times it's um, also associated with being a spiritual, being having a good imagination. And um, it also can symbolize mystery. And again, I think this is probably the second most popular color in the world. People just really love purple. And then your red violets are going to be kind of going towards the magenta. Um, and definitely when you put purples together, you can, you can really see, you know, what's where they are on that scale. Are they more towards the blue? Are they more towards the red? And not all, and the, not all purples will match up well. So it really is something that you have to really closely look at and not just say, oh, I know I have purple yarn at home and I'm going to get a purple to go with it. It's it, that, that's hard to match. Um and hard to combine with. So next time, next time we'll be talking about value and saturation and other ways to use color characteristics that really improve your textile choices. So if you wanna participate and kind of do experiments on your own in the meantime, um, I would have you go back to your collection and look at the colors that you have there. Are you purple heavy? Are you blue heavy? Do you have pops of color? Do you have like some some popping oranges or um, some greens or some um, yellows that really could add some punch to your um, to your projects? And this would be a time when you could also look through that and then make make your wish list because I'm sure that not. You know, by the end of the year, I hope we will be getting together more and maybe being able to have fiber festivals. But if you have this list going and saying, well, you know, I do. I really think I need to add some gold, you know, one skein, two skeins, something like that, just so that I have something that's going to offer some pop in my collection. So if you want to follow along and work through this with me and really develop your color sense, then practice with your own collection. And until I see you in person or virtually, happy making. Well, that's this episode of the Flying Goat Farm podcast. If you enjoyed it, please consider leaving a review. Have a question you'd like me to answer? Send an email to goatherd at flyinggoatfarm.com. And to see our farm, and yarn and roving, check out our website at flyinggoatfarm.com. Follow me at Flying Goat Farm on Facebook and Instagram, and I'm Goat Herd on Ravelry. Until next time, happy making.